This is the On All Cylinders Podcast. Presented by Summit Racing. Your hosts this week are Summit Racing's Al Noe and David Fuller with special guest Jay Leno. Here we go. Thanks for being with us on the inaugural On All Cylinders Podcast. Uh, we look forward to having Jay Leno join us today. But before we get started, we are powered by Summit Racing Equipment. So we have a very special guest to start off, Brian Nutter from our Summit Brands department. Brian, tell us a little bit about what you do with the Summit Brand line and just tell us a little bit about the Summit Brand line itself. Well, first off, it's it's a, the coolest job in existence. Uh, we talk with our customers a lot about things that they need to get their, their cars put together. You know, and, and we cover a lot of ground. I mean, it's anything from paint and body work we sell a lot of really high quality paint made in the USA all the tools you need to put stuff together you know we see places where a tool is needed to make your life easier and it's just like well let's work with our uh, engineers to create these things and bring them to market and yeah it is all over the map the types of things that we have under our, our brands here well we thank you for being a part of the inaugural on all cylinders podcast as well oh it's an honor thanks now i'm going to throw it over to my co-host al my name's al Noe with summit racing our guest today is jay leno jay's joining us from his garage in california and jay on behalf of the summer racing team we cannot thank you enough for taking the time to spend with us today got a lot of time a lot of time to talk cars these days not much else <laughs> to do but sit around and talk cars so it works out pretty good on that topic How's your 2020? Uh, How did you navigate through? And just talk a little bit about the importance of having a hobby like this. Well, things didn't really change. My age. I usually just come to the garage. I mean, obviously, I had over 200 personal appearances canceled, so I'm not on the road. So I just come to the garage, and I like to work on my stuff. And, you know, it's interesting because when you work in a field like show business or something where you're using your head and uh, – to come in and work with your hands is very satisfying. It, it, it gives you a sense of proportion, you know. When you take a transmission out and you realize some guy probably made 80 bucks for that and his hands are all cut and bleeding, and you, you realize it makes you appreciate how easy it is to make, to make money in show business, you know. So it's it's fun. It, I, I, you know, I, 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 one of those people believes when the the head and the hands work together, that's when the heart is healthiest. And so in the day, you sort of work with the hands. And at night, I go out and tell jokes or do whatever it is like that. And and it, it, it's just a nice, it's it's a nice balance. I, I enjoy it. My life has not really changed a whole lot because I'm usually here all the time anyway. I'm either, you know, I do the Tim Allen show, Last Man Standing, and the Jay Lowe's Garage Show and the YouTube Show and a few other things. So the only thing that's really different is the personal appearances have stopped. There just aren't any. But uh, so I come back here and actually I fixed a bunch of things uh, I thought I would never get to. You know, I have a, an old eight liter Bentley over there and it has a crankshaft pulley that spun. It, it, it broke the key. Now, any other car, you know, like a VA, you open the hood, you take out the radio, you pull the crankshaft pulley. Well, on the Bentley... The crankshaft goes through the cross member, uh, I mean the end of the crankshaft, and the pulley's on the inside. You have to pull the end, you have to take the body off to get to the crankshaft pulley. Uh, luckily, we're able to fix it with uh, some shims and some red Loctite, and, and the keyway had come loose, so the thing was rocking and chewing itself up, you know. So that was that was good. So just a lot of just a lot of projects like that stuff. You go, oh man, this is a nightmare. Let me just put it in the corner. Um, I've got a, a 1942 uh, Jeep Army issue. Uh, it's a Ford built Willys, and it spun the bearings on it. So we, we just actually that was pretty easy. We did that in a day. We 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 called a couple of Jeeps, the blank Roy Fitzgerald, and go. Actually, everything's okay. Can't complain. So Jay. 
when you look back on your on your uh, career and your automotive passion, how did you get started? What age were you? When did you see like the first car? And, and what was the first thing that you saw that just got your, you interested in this hobby? And, and what started? Well, I was always into anything that sort of rolls, explodes, and makes noise. Uh, I came home from the hospital in a 49 Plymouth. Uh, we had that till I was seven years old. Then my dad bought a 57 Belvedere. And I used to sit in his lap and, you know, hold the steering wheel going down the street. Now, of course, nowadays they arrest your father and put him in prison for child abuse. But back then it was fairly common. You sit in your dad's lap and blow the horn, hold the steering wheel. So I always liked cars and motorcycles. And I went through the usual go-kart stuff and all that kind of thing. But I remember, it's kind of a funny story. When I was, I grew up in Andover, Massachusetts, which is about 20 miles south of the New Hampshire border. And one day I'm riding my boat motorcycle on my motorcycle riding my bicycle rather in uh, ballad andover had another section called ballad vale which is kind of like i don't say the lower class part but the other side of the tracks put it that way yeah. so i'm riding my bicycle i, I come up the hill i get to the top of the hill and i see this uh 1951 jaguar xk 120 with the spats on it and i went oh my god look at that and i saw this what i thought was an old man polishing it you know so I looked at it, and the guy said, oh, you like this car? And I said, oh, yeah. So you want to sit in it? Okay. So he, so, so he calls me over, and he lets me sit in it. And I'm like, oh, man, this is really cool. That stuck with me. And the first sort of collector car I bought when I made some money was a, a 1954 Jaguar XK120. But I never forgot sitting in that car. And I told that story one day, I think, on The Tonight Show back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And I get a letter from a guy in San Francisco who says, hey, you know that guy uh, whose car you sat in? Uh, he still owns it. I go, what? He must be dead. He's an old man now. He's an old man then. Well, it turns out at the time, the guy was only 24, but I was not. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, you know, I just thought he was like 50 or 60. Yeah. You know? So I go, what? He's still alive? He goes, yeah, he still lives in the same house, the same place. I go, oh. Here's his number. I know him. This guy went to school. And, oh, okay. So I'll call him up. And uh, and I guess he, what is he? So he's 14 years, what is he? Whatever that is. How many years old? It's a short, good eye, man, man. So I call him up. And next time I go back home, I go to visit him. And the car is in the same barn. This is what's great about back east. People put stuff away and it just sits. And it, it was just amazing to me. I, you know, I had to think in my head that he was an old man. And he let me sit in his car. But he was. <laughs> He was only 24 at the time. So th th that's kind of where I, I got started. Plus, you know, it was also an era growing up in the 60s primarily when, like, my mom knew nothing about a car, but she knew when a Valiant wouldn't start, you take off the round thing, take a screwdriver down the little smaller round thing, you know, open that so the flap opens, get in, turn the key. Uh, you know, so people had some sort of cursory knowledge of cars. It's not like today where engines are pretty much sealed and you can't do anything. So, uh, plus it was the era of the muscle cars and music and cars were sort of cool. Even kids who knew nothing about cars pretended to because the music was all influenced by cars and all that kind of thing. So it, it was a good time to grow up and be interested in automobiles. Yeah, well, I think it's certainly a challenge getting uh, the next generation or the current generation back interested in cars, definitely a different time. So what keeps you so interested in cars in general? I mean, you work on them, you're, you obviously have a ton of history on them and obviously driving them is fun. What's your favorite aspect of just owning all these different cars? Well, I, I, I like the whole aspect of it. You know, I, I like the story behind it. You know, the car was sort of the iPhone of the day. 
you know, kids now go places virtually. In our day, the car, the car was your escape. You know, that's what it, I mean. Your car took you from point A to point B. Like I was seven miles from uptown. I remember the worst day of my life being 15 and a half. And my buddies who were 16 all had cars. Hey, we'll see you uptown. Okay, I'm riding my bike. By the time I get uptown, everybody's gone. Everybody's left. You know, it's like the that was the worst age to be because some of your friends had cars and, and you didn't have a license yet. But, you know, I was one of those kids. I was at the DMV when I was 15 and nine ninths, you know, just waiting for the clock to hit 12 so I could go in and get my license. It was a different time. Different time. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I find kids are interested in the new technology. Like I find a lot of young people who are not car people fascinated by electric cars. You know, it's a bit like rock and roll and rap. You know, it's still music. It's just not the music you grew up with. It might not be the music you like, but it's still music. So you have to look at it that way. I mean, I I, I meet guys all the time now modifying Teslas or or taking, uh, you know, old cars, MGs, whatever, convert into electric. They're faster. Uh, they're quieter. They don't pull. It's just, it's just a different ball game. You just sort of have to change with the times. I think. Jay, what's what is your opinion of uh, electric vehicles? I'm always interested because, you know, in, in one way, a lot of younger people don't know the history of the electric vehicle in the United States. And I know you, for example, have I believe it's a Baker that's from 1900, 1910, somewhere in that era. Yeah, 1909, a Baker Electric and. People are fascinated to learn the electric car came before the gas car. I mean, there was electric cars before we had gas cars. The, the same problem was a problem we had on to just the last couple of decades. Battery technology was not there yet. You know, for new technology to succeed, it can't be equal. It's got to be superior. It's kind of like the Wankel engine. The Wankel engine, well, everybody thought, oh, my God, this is going to be the greatest thing ever, the Wankel engine. And it was fast and it was smooth, but A, it burned oil. Uh, more than a gas car, and it got about three to five miles per gallon less than a gas car. So consequently, it did okay, but it never really caught on. And electric cars up until about 20 years ago were interesting. If you knew you were going from here to there every day at exactly the same time, okay, an electric, you know, I have one of those uh, EVs that that one uh, General Motors, the EV1. I didn't, I mean, I just, they let me borrow for a couple of weeks. And I live probably 25 miles from from the Tonight Show, my house, something like that. Uh, and when I when I you know I I'd get on the freeway, I'd nail it, and I'd see if mileage would go from 80 to oh, three. Have I only got three? Have I got? I, I I was sweating bullets every time I got to NBC, and that's sort of the problem with they never got the range that they promised. You know, in this EV, I would charge it all day at NBC, and I barely had enough uh, energy or electricity to get back to my house. I would get back and the light would come on. I go, well, this electric thing is not going to work. It wasn't until Tesla came along, I think. And I think that, sadly, or whatever you want to call it, is the future. I think a kid born today will probably ride in a gasoline-powered car about as often as a kid today rides in a car with a manual shift. You know, it'll still be there. You know, I've got a Tesla. I bought it in 2015. I've never done anything to it. It's never been to the dealer. It doesn't break. It doesn't need warm-up. It doesn't need fluid change. I suppose I get lazy and change the brake fluid. But even brakes last forever because you're always using regen to slow down. You know, and I, I think what will happen is that hot rods, Mustangs, Cobras, Ferraris, 
these will become like snowmobiles. It'll be a, a, a vehicle you use on the weekend to have fun, go in the hills and drive around and go to car meets. But during the week, they'll use an electric car to go back and forth. I mean, I get on the 101 freeway and it's bumper to bumper. Why should I drive a Hemi Challenger, you know, at 9 to 12 miles an hour down the freeway <laughs> getting six miles per gallon? It's, it's not fun. So why not use an electrical vehicle for that? And then use your your uh, your gas car for weekends when you want to have some fun. You had a chance also to to drive in the uh, Tesla truck as well, right? You know that was fascinating. But, you know, Elon's quite a guy. When you're a billionaire, I mean, a multi-billion, and you own the company, you could do whatever you want. I went over there. I said, "Come, let's go for riding the Tesla truck." So he and I would take Tesla truck, and it's just like the the Tesla car. I mean, very quick, very fast. It's big, and and you know, it's interesting whether you love it or hate it. Pickup trucks have looked exactly the same since 1918, with the exception of maybe the Corvair ramp side where the engine was in the back. But that was a little too wild for most people. It didn't sell. Uh, but pickup trucks are like 911s and like Harley Davidson's. They don't change too much. Radical change is not good. And this was a radical change. And consequently, half love it and half hate it. I remember I was talking with Bob Letts when, uh, when they introduced the Viper. And I said, how do you feel about some people thought the Viper looked too cartoony, others loved it. And he goes, well, that's great. He said, I'm not going to sell it to the people that hate it, but the people that love it have to have it and will pay a premium to get it. And that's the idea. You want to have some sort of passion one way or the other. Anyway, so Elon and I take the uh, Tesla truck out for a ride. We're driving around. And I said, hey, how's that boring company working? You know, he's got that boring, you know, makes the tunnels under Los Angeles. Do you guys know about, you know about that? Oh, yes, right? yes. So he says, oh, the tunnel's not far from here. And then he says to me, do you think the Tesla truck will fit in the tunnel? I go, I don't know. It's your tunnel. So we go up to the tunnel and he gets out. And we have quarter inch on each side, just barely. So we get in this tunnel and we're driving along, you know. And it's, it's like one of those cartoons that you watch, you know, where the machine goes through and makes the tunnel that's perfectly round. And that's basically what this is. So this is a continuing process. He's got about maybe two miles of tunnel. So we come to the end of the tunnel. And I go, what do we do? Do we have to back up? He goes, oh, we have an elevator here. At each step we go, we take the elevator and we build it. He goes, oh, okay. I go, where do we come up? He goes, I'm not sure. So we get in the tunnel and we come up in some guy's backyard in El Segundo. We come up and I see a broken bike and a, a Weber grill and, you know, just what everybody has in the backyard. And this guy comes out, hey, Mr. Mr. Musk, hey, Mr. Lanaya. Hi, guys. How are you? He goes, sorry, Bob. Eli says, we pay him to use, his, to use his backyard. And we just come up this guy's backyard and we pull out his driveway and we're on some street in a neighborhood in El Segundo. And next month, it'll be further on down the road. So uh, that's what's kind of fun, you know, when you when you billionaires can do whatever they want. I like that sort of American ingenuity. I think it's a very clever guy. When I, wa I would watch people go after Tesla and trash it and make fun of it, and I go, why? It's American-made with American workers. I mean, it's built 100% right here in California using locally sourced materials. I'm sure there might be some parts from China. Some, there's nothing that isn't. I don't get why people get mad at it or, or hate it. You know, I don't have kids, but I subsidize schools. I'm not a big sports fan, but I pay for my taxes, pay for stadiums and everything. So to subsidize a new form of transportation, it doesn't seem that bad to me. You know, people always think if you have one, you're going to lose the other. And it's not. I, I think we'll be able to enjoy our gasoline powered cars longer if people who don't care for them drive electric cars because they'll pollute less and whatnot. You know, I mean, they always say that, yes, yes. There's more pollution to build an electric car. That is true. But once the electric car is built, it stops polluting. 
I mean, the 1977 Ford LTD parked on the street with the ignition off pollutes more than a Tesla going down the road at 80 miles an hour because the gases, the unvented gas tank, I mean, that's giving off all sorts of things, you know? So uh, it's just something to think about. I mean, you can, you can have both. You can have your electric world and you can have your, your car world at the same time. One doesn't necessarily get the other, but we all seem to get in our heads that if you have this, oh my God, this is gonna happen. You're gonna lose your right to drive. You're gonna lose it. I, I, I don't believe so. Jay, I, I think your observation on that's spot on. And uh, you know, I went to a, an autocross challenge last year put on by one of our vendors called the UMI King of the Mountain. And a, a fellow who raced with Akron Sports Car Club, he came to it with a Tesla Model 3. That car was fast. Uh, you know, it's sort of like uh, with truckers, you know. For years, trucks looked like big Peterbilts. They looked like just non-aerodynamic boxes on top of boxes with a big flat grill. And then I can't remember the company that came out with that sort of aerodynamic-looking truck. Remember, it had that sort of uh, Buck Rogers ray gun-looking, uh, and it was like 20% more aerodynamic. And all the truck, what a stupid-looking thing that is. And then it got like 20% better mileage, and then suddenly all trucks look like that now. So if you're going to come up with new technology and new ideas, just make sure they work. But people, like I say, are pretty conservative. They don't like to change too too quickly. Well, Jay, let's talk about a project that I believe that you've been working on for a bit, the Firebird Sprint. Oh, yeah, yeah. That thing is great. You know, it's just really interesting to me. Back in the 60s, John DeLorean uh, was enamored of the XKE. He just thought that was the greatest car. He wanted to build an American XKE. And he went to his bosses at General Motors and they said, look, build us something to compete with Mustang and whatever. So they did the Firebird. But he still had this XKE thing in the back of his head. So he took the Chevy 6, put a modified cylinder head on it, put an overhead cam on it, driven by a rubber belt. That was sort of the gimmick of the time. It was the first overhead cam production engine built in America since probably the Will St. Clair in 1922. And it had a rubber belt and a few other gimmicks. And it came with a quadrajet and a four-speed. And they built a model called the Pontiac Sprint, which was 4.1 liter, six-cylinder overhead cam engine. But the trouble with it is, by the time you put the quadrajet and the headers and all the high-performance options on it, it actually costs more than a V8 Firebird. And back in 1967, 68, why would anybody take a six over a V8? It made no sense. So they didn't sell very money, many of them. So in the back of my mind, I looked for years until I found one. And I found one behind me. This guy had ordered it with all the performance options. He was a sailor, a four-speed, and a converter. So we've done a bit of retro mod to it. We put four-wheel brakes, Wilwood disc brakes on it. We put a Hotchkiss suspension, which is fantastic. It's only 215, 220 horsepower, but the emphasis is on the handling. I mean, it really handles like a sports car. We put the 15-inch wheels on it. I'm going to put a little thinner tire. They're a little too thick, and I'm hitting the wheel well when I you know, come down from a, over a, a whoop-de-doo or a bump or something, you know. We put a, a Tremec TSX in it, that new five-speed. Boy, that is a great, great gearbox. You know, you don't realize how good gearboxes are until you get a brand new one. You go, oh, my God, this thing just snick, snick. But the real thing I'm most proud of is the trouble with these cars was the oil pressure was kept deliberately on the low side because the rocker arms would soft and would, would wear the cam. So what we did, we, we made our own rocker arms out of tool steel. We had them hardened, and then we put a coating on called Diamond Light Coating, DLC, I think is the name of it. 
And then we ran it on the dyno, just flat out, and we couldn't get anywhere on the rocker arms or the cam at all. And we realized, well, this is perfect. So that's what we have in it now. So the emphasis on this car is not necessarily the speed. I mean, it's it's a lot of fun. It sounds like a six. It makes a nice noise. It just handles so well. And that's what's sort of fun. And when you go to a car show, people go, oh, what do you got in there, a 400? No. And they go, what? What? Because most people have never even seen that engine. They only did it for a few years in the late 60s and early 70s, an overhead cam, Pontiac C. It's such a strange-looking motor with that big, big giant quadrajet on it. It's a lot of fun, and it, it's something a little bit different. And I, I really enjoy it. I'm having a lot of fun with it. How much fabricating do you do? And is there something uh, typically that on your restoration project seems like it always needs fabricated because you can't find the part? That's sort of the problem. Uh, we have Fidel machines. We've got CNC machines. you got 3D printers. So we, you know, it's the old adage. You want something done right, you got to do it yourself. Like right now we're, we're making a bell housing. I've got a, uh, a 1962 Maserati that I was able to buy a long time ago pretty cheap. And that came with a five-speed ZF gearbox. But the gearbox is, is in bad shape. The sink rolls are all gone. Just buying new gears, a couple of new gears for ZF, is more than a brand new Tremec TXH, THX rather. And the, the, the Tremec gearbox is small, it's light, uh, but we have to make our own bell housing. So that's what we're doing now. We're designing it and cutting the bell housing now. You start with a big chunk of metal and you and you whittle it down. So we're going to put that in there. And a lot of people say, oh, but it's not a Maserati anymore. Good. Thank you. That ZF box is terrible. <laughs> this way it'll be drivable and it'll be fun and uh, it'll be kind of cool. Jay, one car that uh, I think is amazing, your 55 Buick. It's kind of the car that's been with you through everything. It was great. It was a good running car. I enjoyed it. I met my wife in that car. I dated my wife in that car. I took the car to my first tonight show. You know, and then I parked at my mother-in-law's house. And it often happens. Younger, prettier cars came along. And that thing sat for like, it sat for 17 years at my mother-in-law's house. Wow. And, I went, and I went over to my mother-in-law's one day. And there was a note out saying, somebody obviously doesn't care about this car. I would like to buy it. And I went, oh. No, I care about it. So uh, we got a flatbed. We brought it back to the garage. I spoke to the guys at GM. We got the very first 572 crate motor, the very first ones. And GM made up some valve covers with my name on it, which is kind of funny, and I appreciated that. And uh, we put that in there. We put some C5 Corvette suspension in it. We made our own wheels, uh, and we spun some hubcaps to make it look original. So it originally had 14s in it, so it's got 17s in it now, so we can get the big brakes underneath there. So it's it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. I, I I love that car, and I'll never sell it. I've had it now, God, no more than 40, almost 50. God, I've had it almost 50 years. I bought it in 72. Is that the car you've owned the longest, Jay? Yeah, that's the car I've had the longest. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, That's the first car I got when I came to California. I didn't set out to collect cars. I just never sold any. Well, you, you talked about you know the Firebird being something you're working on now and, and sort of the plan behind that. How do you, you know, decide kind of what's next? you have your eye on anything right now? What else? I've got a Doble steam car that we're redoing. Uh, that's another part. There's a lot of broken stuff here because I drive it all and I use it all. I've got a, a Duesenberg back here with a, a loud, I got a valve sticking and I keep running seafoam and everything else through the motor just trying to loosen it up. I don't want, I don't want to have to take the head off this thing. So I'm just trying to drive and see if it frees itself. It's not terrible. It's just ticking. It you know it drives you crazy. It's like uh, you know the telltale heart at Grelin Poe. I can hear it. Nobody else can hear it. You know, just little problems like that. Jay, uh, we've had a lot of our customers ask if you could only keep one of your cars or one of your motorcycles, what would it be? I mean, I like them all. I guess if I have to pick one greatest American car, I'd have to go with the Duesenberg. I mean, 
just an amazing motor making 265 horsepower at a time when 30 or 40 horsepower was considered a lot for a car. I mean, it was the first, I guess, supercar, you could say. What about motorcycles, Jay? Do you have a favorite motorcycle? I like Bruff Superiors, and I like Vincent Black Shadow. Incredibly fast, incredibly expensive. A Bruff Superior in 1920 cost the same as, as a house in London, in England, rather. And it was, they were hand-built and using proprietary parts. You got the best engine you could. Uh, Vincent, I give a little more credit to because he built his own engine, built his own frame, built his own. Uh, Bruff Superior found the best parts he could, uh, made the best-looking gas tank in, in motorcycle history. When you see a Bruff, it's, it, to me, it's the most beautiful bike you could possibly imagine, 19, especially one from the 20s. Very spindly, very lightweight, 55 horsepower in 1920 on a motorcycle was unbelievable. I mean, that was just an unbelievable amount of power. And to go 100 miles an hour when the speed limit was 35, it would be like going 200 today. So uh, I would say the Vincent and the Bruff. But I've got a 36 Harley Knuckle, which is an interesting one, the Knucklehead. You know, the 36 Harley is interesting because when it came out, they didn't make very many of them. They, they thought it was too technically superior. Had overhead valves, had a four-speed gear change, uh, had all these things which they thought mm, the average motorcyclist would find this daunting, you know. Is there one, uh, in terms of engines, one that was most difficult to get a grasp on or learn to, to work on? You know, so many different types of, the Duesenberg is pretty, I mean, the Duesenberg, even in the period flat rate manual, adjusting the valves is a 40-hour job. It's, it's that complicated a motor. I had a friend ask, what, what is the maddest you've ever gotten at a, a project or, or you know, something you're working on in the shop. Well, I mean, that Bentley keyway on the uh, pulley that I mentioned that's on the inside of the cross member, that sat for 18 months. We just said, oh, God. I mean, first of all, we need the whole shop because you'd have to take the body off it, take the fender. I mean, it was pull the engine up just, just to get – because even the fan belt, you can't put a fan belt on that car. You've got to have a hook belt, which means a fan belt where you attach it. You put little pieces on to make it longer or shorter. Uh, so that, that was a pretty – daunting one because you know i'm so used to these weird cars so there are no parts where you have to make them or use the 3d printer so to, to, to find suppliers you know even to do it like here i'm wearing my what have i got my fort wayne clutch and uh driveline t-shirt on because i love these guys because they're the only guys that can set up a duesenberg clutch properly i haven't found there's nobody else i haven't found anybody else in the world that can do it and these guys, I send them my clutch, and they send it back, and I put it in, and it's perfect. I can I can screw that thing all day long, and I can't get it right. Jay, you mentioned earlier about events in 2020 getting canceled, appearances getting canceled, et cetera. Hopefully, 2021 will be the year that we can get back to going to races, events, and shows. What are some of the most memorable ones that you've been to? I mean, I like to go to shows where guys, I like to call them rattle can restorations, where Guys, you know, use some Rust-Oleum on the chassis and they restore it in their garage and they hand sand it. And, you know, it looks as good as one of those Pebble Beach restorations because there's so much effort went into it. So if, you had a, you know, if you're starting out in the hobby and you had like a 10 grand budget, where would you start? What would you look at? Well, if I had a 10 grand budget, I would look at a Corvair because you can get a six cylinder with a four speed. It's the most European American car ever built. You know, I have a 66 Corsa. And when I drive it, people say, is that a Carmen gear? Is that a Fiat? No, it's a Corvair. They're a dime a dozen. Uh, it's not a particularly sophisticated engine. 
but you can get a lot of power out of them. And they're a lot of fun. So I would say that. I would say Falcons. But I've got a 63 and a half Falcon that I love. It's got a 302 with a five-speed in it. But I, I would say Corvair would probably be your best bet because you're, you're combining a little bit of sports car with a manual transmission. I would say that's probably one of your best bets for under 10 grand. Do you have any cars that are left on your list that you, you look at and say, uh, you know, I, I got to find one of those. You know, this Sprint was one of those cars. You know, it's so funny because when you live in Andover, Massachusetts, like I did, any car with less than four doors might as well be a Ferrari. I remember a guy named Joe in our town had a 55 Chevy with a 283 with two four barrels. That was an Indianapolis race car. I mean, that was the fastest car in town. It was unbelievable. It was the kind of thing where you go to McDonald's at 8 o'clock at night, hang around, wait for something cool to come by. You go home at 10. When you got home, the phone would ring. Hey, a new Corvette came in. No, I missed it. No, you know, you know it, was just, it was just a different sort of era. But obviously, you get to, to work with some celebrities on these cars, too. Is there anybody that, that you were really surprised to find out was a car person or is really knowledgeable? Uh, Kevin Costner, he's, he's a Mustang guy. Who else? I'm trying to think. Well, Seinfeld. Seinfeld's a Porsche guy. John Hamm. I mean, there's quite a few. I mean, cars is one of those secret passions a lot of people have they don't talk about. Oh, uh, Idris Elba, he's a huge car hmm. Roger Penske, there you go. That's a good one. You know, I was I was with Roger, and we're in downtown Detroit, and I said to him, I'm stunned at how clean downtown Detroit is. I mean, everything looks nicely taken care of. They've really done a wonderful job. And he started a program where, I think I have this right, he gives homeless people a mailbox with a key so they have an address where they can get mail or they can get checks or whatever like that. And he sets up some kind of food banks around. And all he says to them is, hey, if you're out in the city and you see some trash, we just put it in the trash can. You don't have to. But if you would, I'd appreciate it. I mean, I had to drag that out of him. I didn't. I was just talking about how clean it was. And then he told me about this program. It's not like he was, you know, trying to brag to me about something he did. Yeah, he, he's, he's, and of course, he's the ultimate car guy. You know, Back when you were a young stand-up comic, did, did you ever think that, You'd, you'd be at the place you're at now. No. <laughs> I was just lucky to be making a living. That never even occurred to me, but which was, which is, I think, a better way to be. You know, I was always happy at whatever level I was at. I'm realistic. I was a terrible student. I'm dyslexic. I never thought I would get this far. And so, yeah, no, I'm, I'm a huge believer in low self-esteem. I think if you don't think you're the smartest person in the room, you'll shut up and you'll listen. I like to play with cars. And when I get it over my head, which is every day, the guys jump in and save me. I don't like, I don't want to pretend that, oh, well, like I restored all these cars myself. That's not even close. I've got guys here that are excellent at what they do. And it, it's good. We have a good life. Nothing here has to be done on any particular schedule. The guys work when they want. They can work on their own cars when they want. And it's just a nice, relaxed atmosphere. But, uh, I mean, all the credit goes to them. Any advice for somebody that's just getting into this hobby? I think the, the best advice is buy something that you can afford. I mean, I know that sounds obvious. A lot of times guys will get a project where they're just way in over their head. You know, I'll give you an example. When I was in the Tonight Show, I had interns. And one of them said, I'm a slot, I'm a car guy. Oh, hey, nice to meet you. I said, do you have any classic cars? He goes, oh, yeah. I said, what do you have? He goes, a 91 Miata. It just made me laugh because to me, that's a new car. But he was only 20 years old. So that car was one. He was one, rather, when that car came out. You know, so it just made me laugh. 
so to me, stuff like that, high schools don't really have vocational training anymore, which is kind of sad. I hate to see that go. Uh, I'm a great believer in working with your hands and learning a trade, you know, welders, machinists. I have great respect for these guys. But that wasn't the question. The question was advice for them. Yeah, buy what you can afford and, and find an old guy. There are so many retired indie car mechanics. All these guys would love nothing better than to help a young person get a car back in shape and get it running again. Jay, I, I love that idea, and I'll talk to you offline about that because Dave and I have had some conversations about something related to that, but I yeah. love the idea. I think all of us have been lucky to meet people in our lives that have given us uh, education and passed on the knowledge that they have. Part of what makes the car hobby fun. I mean, you think all the people you've met over the years that have right. helped in one way, shape, or form. Well, Jay, we really, really appreciate your time. I'd love to keep you here all day, but I know you got cars to work on and things to do. Thank you, Jay. Appreciate you joining us. Thanks, guys. This has been the On All Cylinders podcast. Presented by Summit Racing. Check out new episodes coming soon at onallcylinders.com. Onallcylinders.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.